This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is David Graves. More information about Restoration Road Church can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. More information about David Graves and Living Hope Ministry at www.livinghope.me. Good morning, church. You know, I met a, um, a few months ago with Sam and with Mark, had some coffee, spent some time with them. And um, they graciously invited me to come and share today. But then I found out this week that they had apparently fled the country. (laughs) So I'm not quite sure what that means. Maybe they know something that we don't. But I actually did have a, um, a, a message prepared for quite some time that I thought that I should share. Um, but when I found that they split, I just threw it out and just thought, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to let it rip today. <laughs> so, um, so I'm going in a little bit of a different direction. You know, I'm a street preacher, primarily. I preach the gospel on the street, so I very much am in the moment, generally, when I preach. Um, so feel free to throw things at me, to hurl insults or make any type of hand gestures. It, it actually might help me to feel at home. So. But it's an amazing journey that's brought me here today. You know, uh, I'm 48, and uh, when I was, uh, I didn't grow up in the church, never went to church as a child, and uh, was a very wicked young man, led a very rebellious life. And then at the age of uh, 23, God reached down into a deep pit and pulled me out, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he made my footsteps firm. He put a song of praise within my mouth. And from that day forward, it has been just the most amazing journey, as I'm sure each of you could testify to what God has done in your life. But you know, as, as a, a new and growing baby Christian, a man came to this little country church where I was born again, the only church I'd ever known, and he shared, he shared some pictures at a Wednesday night Bible study. And to be honest with you, when I, when I saw those pictures, it was very confusing for me. I, I really couldn't even understand what I was seeing. And they were pictures of little children that had lost their lives through abortion. It was very confusing. And then I saw one picture, and it was of a little hand. And that picture looked exactly like my little one-year-old son Caleb's hand. And in that moment, God did something amazing, that he pierced my heart, because I understood in that moment exactly what I was seeing for the first time. I thought that was my little boy. And all of the feelings that I have for my own son the zeal, the love, the fatherly urge to protect him. I felt for this little one who I didn't know and would never meet and who was gone forever. And it was like an Isaiah moment for me. I was undone. And that, that was over 20 years ago. And uh, that set me on a path that's brought me here today. So we've been uh, full-time in pro-life ministry for the last four years, my wife, my family. We live by faith. We simply go out. We, I spend most of my days in front of Planned Parenthood, 
offering living hope, simply living out Christianity in this place of uh, depravity, of darkness, hopelessness, and death. So that's what's brought me here today. You know, there's an old saying that uh, there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who can count and those who can't. Okay, if you're laughing, that means you can count. And if not, don't worry. You're probably like me, the third type of person. Or sometime, maybe about 2.30 this afternoon, for no reason, you just burst out laughing. But you know, that joke's funny because words mean things. Very simple truth. Words mean things. And probably no words that I'll share today mean more than what I'm about to tell you. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. You know, the reality is abortion has touched every single one of us, some much more personally than others. But whether you are conscious of it or not, it has affected each and every one of us, some of us here in this room, very personally. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The scripture says that by loving kindness or mercy and truth, iniquity is atoned for. But if we do not acknowledge the truth, God's loving kindness, God's mercy and forgiveness does not wash over us. So it's a difficult task that I have today to speak on the most difficult topic you can speak on anywhere in the world. For 44 years, I'm 48, it's amazing to think about, 44 years there's been legalized abortion in our country. Can can you fold your arms, everybody? If you're capable, fold your arms for me. How does that feel? Feels all right, doesn't it? Feels safe to me. Now, can you fold them the other way? Try it. It's hard to do even, isn't it? It takes, you have to really think about it to even accomplish it. And then it doesn't feel very comfortable, does it? That's kind of what I'm asking you to do today, okay? I'm going to go perhaps in a different direction than you've ever heard anyone speak about. You know, the gospel is not only comfort for the afflicted, but it's also affliction for the comfortable. I may say some things that are going to be hard to receive. I've prayed for you every day this week. I pray God answer that prayer. I pray that we hear from him and that we not go forward for another 44 years, that the image of God be desecrated in our culture and in the world. So I really want to question our presuppositions today. I was going to preach out of a verse of Scripture, and I just threw that out, and I realized we need to get back to some basics here. This has been 44 years of madness, and I, for one, do not want to come here next year or anywhere and have to speak on this topic. Words mean things. So I want to very simply examine the basics of life, 
and particularly of abortion. That's the only reason I'm here today speaking to you, because we are approaching the 44th anniversary of legalized abortion in our country. So I want to look at the who, the what, the when, the why, the where, and the how. Very basically of what abortion is. I want to pray. Father God, I thank you for life. Oh, Lord God, what a great gift to open my eyes this morning. Just to be here, Father, to feel the ground, to be able to breathe, to move, to live, to risk, to rest, Lord, even to feel pain and heartache. What a great gift, this beautiful mystery, Lord, to be, just to be, because you are, Father. You have commanded life, and you have commanded eternal life. I thank you for what you did for us, that you reached down in a deep pit, Lord, and saved me, and that you do not desire any to perish, but that we might all come to a restored relationship through the merits of your son, Jesus, through his finished work. I pray, Father, you be pleased today. Loosen my lips, Father. Restrain me according to your will. I am your servant today. Be pleased, O oh Father, to teach us for your son's sake and for the sake of these little ones. Amen. So what is abortion? Abortion is the greatest destroyer of human life, period. You know, worldwide, a child dies from induced abortion every second. Think about that. In the brief time we'll be here this morning, over 4,000 little ones made in the image of God, unique. As I look upon you here, Every single one of you is just so different and unique, and, you know, that's wonderful and weird, and, you know, I mean, we just, we're who we are. But every little one of those, those ones is unique and special, and each one is a facet of who God is. What a great loss. I know God better today for having met you, because you bear his image. What does the word abortion mean? Church, can you think of any other context in which the word abortion is used other than the ending of a pregnancy? You know, I grew up watching the rockets go off. You know, I was born the year they went to the moon. You know, and it was, abort the launch, abort the launch, or, or in, in the context of a military mission. Abort the mission, abort the mission. The word abortion simply means to end something that is in progress. And in the case of human abortion, that something that is in progress is human life. This is an irrefutable scientific fact. From the moment of fertilization till natural death, there is nothing but a human life there. Abortion is the antithesis of Christ. Abortion is the exact opposite. Abortion is anti-Christ. 
Christ says, I sacrifice my life for your good. Abortion is the lie that leads a parent to say to their own child, I will take your life for my good. And that's a lie. Abortion is the antithesis, the exact opposite, that which is directly opposed to the gospel. The good news. The good news says to those who are guilty and under a just penalty of death, you are declared innocent and may go free and live. That's the gospel. Abortion says to the, the only ones we could truly claim to be innocent in the world, you are guilty and must pay with your life. Do you understand, church, what I'm saying? This is what is directly opposed to our Lord and Savior and to God himself. So, Church, let me ask you a question, frankly. This is not rhetorical. Is abortion murder? I want to ask you again. Is abortion murder? Why don't we act like it? I have children. I'm sure many of you have children. What if I told you that I spend a lot of my days in this front of this building in Everett, and you're not going to believe what I see there? They actually, I've actually seen day after day moms and dads pushing these strollers into this building with little babies, and they're coming out with empty strollers. They're actually killing little baby boys and girls in Everett. Would that... Does that hit you a little different? Isn't that amazing? You see, the truth is we do not value, even in the church, these little ones as God does. So our words and our deeds do not line up. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. These little ones are our neighbors. And we are bearing false witness directly against them if we confess that the taking of their lives through abortion is murder and yet do not act accordingly. Church, I know that's a hard thing to say. But by truth and loving kindness, iniquity is atoned for. You know, this affects our witness greatly. Let's say that I am a homosexual man, okay? And I, what if I come to you and say, hey, look, Christian friend, okay? You tell me, how is it wrong if I can find some comfort in this, this brief, miserable experience that's full of sorrow and pain called life with another guy? And we're not hurting anybody else, you know? This is a consensual relationship. We care for one another. We love one another. By what authority do you tell me it's wrong? Church, by what authority would you tell uh, someone that that is wrong? 
By the Word of God. Amen. And that is the right answer. But let me tell you, even if the world's not conscious of the fact, if we do not get it right with these little children, we lose our moral authority to speak for God. Because it rings very hollow if you will not stand up for life itself. If you won't stand up for this, I'm sorry, but it, it rings very hollow in the world. I mean, this is truth. We see this happening in our culture. So church, what is our goal? We're, you're pro-life, aren't you? You love being here, right? I love being alive. We are pro-life. We're for life. God has commanded life. God is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So what should our goal be? Our goal is to end legalized abortion. Mine is. This must be our goal. Not to regulate it. But to end it. To do this, we must fight to win. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5, 8, 28, excuse me, one of the, the cases that God lays out through the prophet Jeremiah against this people is that they do not plead the cause of the orphan to win it. That they plead the cause of the orphan half-heartedly. We need to plead the cause of these little ones to win it. We must be pro-life without exception, without compromise, and without apology. No exceptions. Not in the case of rape, not in the case of incest, not for any reason. Any reason. See, the problem with this incremental pro-life legislation that we have been working toward for 44 years, waiting periods, parental notifications, mandatory ultrasounds, you see, they all end with the same seven words. And then you can kill the baby. Get an ultrasound. Look at it. And then you can kill the baby. Wait 48 hours. Tell your parents. And then you can kill the baby. This is, this is madness. There's only one logical reason to oppose abortion. It takes a human life. And if we cede that ground, we've lost. Do you understand, church? It's just common sense. This isn't some great theological thing. We, we need to get the basics down. We need to understand this. What's really going on here? No compromises. I, I got a deal for you, okay? I have absolute authority to make this offer, and each of you has absolute authority to accept it. What if, as of tomorrow, abortion would end, legalized abortion would end in our nation? Only one more child has to die. There's a little boy down in Texas. He has Down syndrome. We're going to put him to death today. But if you'll allow that, starting tomorrow, it'll be made illegal. Will you take the deal? Will you take the deal? We don't make Faustian deals with the devil. Jesus didn't come to make a deal with the devil. We don't sit down with snakes at the table. We turn over the table. We crush the head of the serpent. No. Every single human life deserves to be protected. We don't compromise with evil. 
No apologies. God has commanded life. We don't apologize for that. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry. Look, who can end abortion? Who? Who can end abortion? I was standing in front of Planned Parenthood in Marysville, in front of a busy street, alone. I was holding a sign with a picture of a beautiful baby. It just said, life is a miracle. And I was lost in thought and in prayer, just staring at the ground in front of me. Cars are going by, and then I sensed a car had stopped in the middle, in the median there. And I looked up, and here's a man I'd never met before, never seen, and he looked right at me, and he said, Brother, you stand strong in the inner man, and may God grant you peace. Don't give up. And he sped off. I'm like, that was crazy. And I rejoiced. I said, thank you, Lord. It's amazing. You know, and just a few minutes later, in comes a car pulling into Planned Parenthood. It goes whipping in there. And before this car even came to a stop, I saw the, the lady in the passenger side, she had the door open. And she leapt out and came right at me like a shot. And I was like, oh, here we go. You know, you know, I don't know what's coming. And this lady, young lady came up to me and just ripped me to shreds. And the last thing she said is, Jesus wouldn't be out here harassing people. You know, and I didn't answer her word until she said that. And I said, Jesus? What makes you think I know Jesus? How do you know I'm not a Muslim? And she just froze. And I just let it sit there. I just let it sit. And I said, of course I'm a Christian. But isn't it something that you knew that? Let me tell you, church. The world knows it. And we better know it. I've spent over the last 20 years, I've been in front of abortion facilities in nine states. I've spent thousands of hours on the street. I have never met one Muslim, one Buddhist, one Hindu, one so-called atheist who would go out there and try to offer help. Not one. The only people I have ever met consistently in any way out there given their lives, are those that name the name of Jesus, period. And the world knows that. Why is that? Isn't that interesting? Look, no one else is qualified, dear brothers and sisters. No one. There's only one solution for sin. Look, what law do you think we could pass that the devil would observe so that he wouldn't hate you and want to kill you? What amount of money do you think we could raise and the devil would take not to hate you and want to kill you? We've got to know our enemy. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Look, the gates of hell will always prevail against Congress. I don't care what party controls it. The gates of hell will always prevail against the White House, no matter what 
reality stars in there. The gates of hell will always prevail against the supreme, the so-called Supreme Court of the United States of America. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So why, church, why should we actively work to end abortion? Why? There's so much I could share. I want to look at the scripture. I want to, if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation. That's that book toward the end. The 12th chapter. You know, there's something going on that's much bigger than we may realize. That's kind of what I want to look at. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. So think about this picture, okay? Who do we have? We have this woman. There's so much here, I wish I could go through it all. But I want to just a big take a look at some scripture, look through redemptive history, a 30,000-foot view, view. Just a big picture, okay? That's what I'm going for here. There's a picture some signs here. There's a woman. She's pregnant. She's hollering. She's about to give birth. We would understand there's debate about this, but I would understand this, to be a, this woman to be Israel, as you'll see as we go on. There's no debate about who the dragon is, is there? This is the devil, the liar, the serpent, the lawless one, our enemy, the accuser of the brethren. And he's, he's crouched down as this woman's about to give birth so that when the child's born, he can devour the child. Do you see this picture? It's very simple. Is this picture reminiscent of any, any other scripture that you know? You know, if we turn back, well, isn't it interesting that there's somebody missing? Look, if you've got a, a pregnant woman and a child, and you have this enemy about to destroy the child, isn't there someone missing in the picture here? The father. And that's a rabbit trail I won't go down at this time. But this is something for you to think about. So let's turn it back to the other end of the Bible. Genesis 3. Verse 15. Now, I'm short on time, so I'm going to summarize some things for you. We know this story. That God created this earth, it's perfect, it's, he says it's very good. He puts man and woman in this garden, gives them one commandment, one commandment. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of course, the serpent comes, tempts Eve, she eats, gives it to Adam, he eats, the fall. And God pronounces a series of curses upon the serpent, upon the woman, upon the man. 
Verse 14, Genesis 3. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is a familiar verse of Scripture, isn't it? This is what we would call the first prophecy of Christ in the Bible. What's enmity? Hatred, war, strife, battle, contention, conflict. My kids and vegetables. That's kind of what I think about. Where was the first sin committed? The garden? The devil rebelled in heaven, and he brought his rebellion to the earth and tempted Adam and Eve, and they fell. The devil picked this fight. Do you understand that? But what is God doing here? God's declaring war. The devil may have picked this fight and started it. But God is finishing it. And what he's doing here is he's declaring war. This is no game. So God is declaring war against the serpent. All of history is a story of this war between the seeds, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So let's turn back to Revelation. Chapter 12. Look, when God sent His Son from the perspective of heaven, we just had the Advent season, Christmas, so beautiful. From the perspective of heaven, Christmas was was like D-Day. It was like the D-Day invasion. You know? He sent His Son into the world to destroy the works of the devil. There's something bigger going on here than we, we may realize. We're intimately familiar with the gospel of salvation, as well we should be. But there's the gospel of the kingdom, and that's what I'm talking about here. Verse 5, chapter 12, and she gave birth to a son, hallelujah, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Who's that? Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Isn't it amazing? (laughs) That the crucifixion is summed up in two simple words. He was caught up to God and to his throne. Isn't that something? Think about it. What did Jesus go through for us? You know how he suffered? He was taken away with violence, he was betrayed, he was left alone. He was falsely accused. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was mocked. They plucked his beard. They whipped him. They spit in his face. They dressed him up as a king. Then they stripped him naked and hung him between two thieves and killed him as a common criminal. Think of that. You know, there's no qualifier for death. You're either dead or alive. You're not deader, deadest. You know? You're either dead or alive. 
And Jesus was dead, dead, dead. This is what the Scripture teaches. But on the third day, he rose again. He who was dead is alive forevermore. He conquered death. And it says he was taken up. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Father says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that is what's going on right now, church. That is where we are at in redemptive history. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Father is making his enemies a footstool for his feet. And that he sent his son in the form of a babe is amazing. That God would use the weakest things to overcome. But what's even more amazing is he'd use weaklings like us, the church, to make his enemies a footstool for his feet. (laughs) That's astounding. How great is our God. If this crucifixion that God describes as a bruised heel, what must await the evil one? What must a bruised head look like? What must that look like? You see, we, we, we know the devil came to steal, to kill, and destroy, right? You ever think about why he wants all these little babies dead? Why he wants you to die? You know the mafia, the mob? You know, they say, hey, it's not personal, it's just business. I believe it's personal for the evil one. But you know, it's good business. Because he knows his time is short. He knows what's coming. Verse 12, uh, 12, 7 through 10. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. See, now, church, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom and the authority of Christ have come. Verse 12, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and sea, Because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and went off to make war 
with the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. If we go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis and just, Genesis and just walk through redemptive history, walk through the scriptures and look for this pattern, look for what's going on in the world, it's astounding. I don't have time. How I wish I could just bolt the doors and we could be here all day. I know you wouldn't like it, but... But look, think about it. You know, Cain and Abel. Cain slew his brother Abel. In one generation, sin became full-grown. Sin is a murderer. Sin always brings forth death. Then we, we go to Exodus. God's people are taken into Israel. They start to, to grow, and then you have Pharaoh. He, he's, he's nervous, and he says, hey, you're going to cast the male children into the Nile. So you see, he's trying to kill the babies. Think of Haman, the book of Esther. He's trying to kill the Jews. He's trying to kill God's people. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think of how the king was, says his face was contorted and he was angry that you won't bow down to my statue. Throw him in the furnace. Think of Daniel. Throw him in the lion's den. Think of all the prophets. What about the story of Herod sending to, to slay all the, the male children to and under? We see this picture throughout Scripture. How the evil one is trying to destroy the seed of the woman. Think all the apostles save John, the writer of Revelation. Tradition tells us he was, they tried to kill him, but it didn't work. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a great bedside reading. Think of history, recent history, the Holocaust. Think of communism. The devil's killing all now through abortion. A third of my generation gone. A quarter of my son's generation gone. He's killing them all. Why? You know, this conflict centers around who is Lord. Who is Lord? That's why the devil hates the woman. She belongs to God. She's betrothed to him. The dragon hates the child. The word made flesh. The only truly submissive and obedient one to the Father. The dragon hates anyone in whom the Word is made flesh. You know, if they're not born alive, they can't be born again and used to build God's kingdom in the earth. It's just very simple. There's something bigger going on than we understand. The devil knows his time is short. His survival depends on halting the advance of God's kingdom in the earth. That's why, church, you're the only ones who are qualified to engage in this battle. There's no DMZ, no demilitarized zone, no neutrality. 
You were born for this and born again for this purpose. To deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. So you might have noticed, I skipped a verse. Anyone notice that? This is when you throw something up here. Yes. All right, you want to come up and preach it? Yes, amen. How? How will we end abortion? I got news for you. God has a three-fold plan for victory. Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even unto death. How will we end abortion? The blood of the Lamb. You must be born again. Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even see what's going on unless you're born again. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Look, we work from salvation. Amen, church? Not for salvation. It's foolishness to think you could earn salvation. But we work from salvation. We were saved for good works, which the Father has prepared for us, that we should walk in them. We're saved for a purpose. I I stand before royalty today. A holy army following in the train of our champion, Jesus You must be born again. If there's someone here that doesn't know what I'm talking about, if you have any doubts whatsoever that you've been redeemed, have been sealed, been forgiven, come see me. Come see someone you trust. Reach out to God right now. Call upon him. He will in no wise cast you out. God is the author of salvation from beginning to end. And he desires you to be forgiven, to be born again, to be redeemed. He gave his very life's blood for that purpose. The word of our testimony, what does that mean? You know, I gave a brief testimony at the beginning of this. You know? Does everybody here have a testimony? Everyone here have a testimony? Don't worry, I'm not going to call you up. But if I, if I don't see some hands, I'm going to be coming at you like a laser when this thing's over. Because everybody has a testimony if they belong to him. All right? That's so important, you know, that to look back and remember what the Lord has done. There's great strength in that. It glorifies him. It encourages us. But I submit to you there's something more to this. You know, where is the word testimony used outside of church? A courtroom. Yeah. Let's say, uh, uh, Mr. Graves, where were you Sunday, uh, January 15th? Was that you in that car going 80 miles an hour because you were late to get to the church in Snowbridge? <laughs> uh, yes, sir. That's my testimony, okay? Look, there, 
It's amazing the language that's used that's in the Bible about how heaven is like a courtroom. Okay, we've got a judge. We've got this accuser of the brethren, this prosecutor. You know, he was speeding. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Jesus is called our advocate, which is another word for a lawyer, an attorney. He's our advocate. It's amazing to think about. Look, you will stand in the courtroom of heaven, and the sum total of your life, everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, every moment of your existence will be laid bare. Perfect video, perfect audio, they won't even have to roll the tape. There will be no lying. There will be no alibis. Everything will be laid bare. And I believe that that's very important. You see, you overcome the evil one by your testimony. See, you could say our testimony, like, you know, when I talked about being saved by God from this deep pit. In in essence, I'm talking about what God has done for me. You know? And that's right and good. But the way we live by His grace, once we're redeemed, is our testimony about what God has done. It's our testimony about His greatness the effectiveness of what he's done in saving us. And it shuts the mouth of the evil one. Do you understand that? It shuts his mouth. He can't accuse us because we've been redeemed. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And God gives us power over sin. Glory to God, how great he is. So where do we fight abortion? Not loving our lives even unto death. You know, it's fun to follow Jesus until you find out where he's going. I never would have dreamed I'd spend my days in front of a, this terrible place that I go to. Never. In fact, when, it, when I signed on, if I had known that, I probably wouldn't have signed on. God's good, you know. He gives us light. Not all-encompassing, but step-by-step. Look, do you know the difference between a calling and a commandment? Not everyone's going to do what I do. Okay? I, I dig that. I got it. We are not called to love our neighbor as ourselves. The night Jesus was betrayed, he didn't say, which I saw a plaque coming up the stairs in there, John 13, 34, I think. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, so you love one another. That's a commandment. And we know how he loved us, don't we? He gave his life for us. You know, that's a commandment to love our neighbor, not a calling. It's played out in different ways. That's the calling that God has for each of us. But we cannot name the name of Jesus and turn away from these little babies, church. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that commandment means a lot more than just a cuss word, let me tell you. To do something as vain is to do something in hypocrisy, without honesty, without a whole heart. We cannot turn away from these little ones and name the name of Jesus. It's inconsistent. 
So where do we find abortion? Two places. The Garden of Gethsemane and Golgotha. I don't know what that means for your life, but it's just simply to trust and obey. Trust like Jesus did in the Garden. This is my working definition of what it is to be a Christian, okay? Jesus, the night he was betrayed, prayed three times. He said, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. Is this not what it is to be a Christian, to follow Christ? To be able to say, I don't like that, God. (laughs) But okay. If that's what you want, here I am. That's really what it is. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Trust. Trust, church. Trust. And obey. We see obedience, perfect obedience in the Lord as he went to the cross and hung and died on the cross. Think of that. Think of that. What is obedience but doing good, continuing to do good, loving the unlovely, having hope when things are utterly hopeless, rejoicing when you're crushed with sorrow. This is the greatness of our God. This is the character of our God. And this is what he has for all those he's redeemed, for his children. So courage is not simply one of the virtues, C.S. Lewis said, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Courage, church, courage. Trust and obey. You know, God has proven himself so faithful in this area. In the last four years, 20 children have been spared. History has been changed. I've been witness to God doing great and mighty deeds. The gospel has gone forth to many, 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 many people. Think of that, 20 children. What does one life mean? It changes history. Think of that. What a great privilege we have. Courage, church, courage. Have you not heard? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Courage, dear children. We must take courage. So, church, when, when will abortion end? Only you can answer that. But I'll tell you this, abortion will end. When the church of Jesus Christ makes up her mind, that it will end, and not a second sooner. I don't care what happens in Washington, D.C. This is the church's fight. Courage, brothers and sisters. God bless you.